Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., I want to talk about buyer's remorse. (laughs) You do? Is this because... I warn you every time I'm about to make a big purchase. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of it. It it is because I know you have stories about this. (laughs) Well, actually, I've talked to your wife. I talk to Betsy about this every time. You know Um, that Betsy actually doesn't tell me confidential things that other people tell her. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that. Yes, I do. Every marriage is is different. But she keeps things. But people come to me all the time saying, I told your wife about it. That that means (laughs) nothing. nothing. She keeps secrets. No, it's not really that confidential. But this happens every time I buy, like if I buy a house or a car or a big TV or anything, the day after I get mm-hmm. ragey, angry, like <laughs> angry. ragey. I don't get the angry it's, part. I don't, Tim, I've talked, do you remember this? I actually warned like people in the office. I'm like, just be aware. I'm probably just going to be really angry. Today. I would understand. Like I definitely get buyer's remorse on a big, well, I've done it twice. I bought a truck. I bought a brand new Toyota Tacoma yeah. whenever, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I bought a F-150 used yeah. and I, I get... A little bit of a guilt because I grew up poor. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of that. But I don't get the rage. What, no, are, you I getting, get rage. what are you getting angry I about? I feel like I got, I always, almost always feel like I got ripped off. I think like it doesn't <laughs> matter. I made the choice. Like even stuff, like my last car that I bought, by the time I bought it, the mm-hmm. air conditioning in my car didn't work. The alternator went yeah. out, the windows. I needed a new car. And I went and I already knew the car I wanted. I went and I got it and I was immediately angry. I was immediately angry. <laughs> you drove I was, away. I drove away, and I was like, These are you, "Who are you jerks. angry? Oh, you're angry at them. You're not angry at yourself." Way a little bit at myself, but I shift the blame to the people <laughs> who sold it. If they sold a TV to me or anything, that's not normal. You don't have that no. Kind well, of- the, no, the buyer's remorse is normal. The anger, <laughs> really, because you're not naturally an angry person. I'm I've never not, seen you angry. I'm not, except for when, except I buy for when you buy something. That I remind love. me never to sell that's you. That's the stupid something. part. Is I actually really love. I love the house that I live in. I love the. So you were angry when you bought your home. You oh, a yeah, great yeah. Home. No, I was like... You're just I, throwing things, throwing dishes. I don't get like that. <laughs> I just get like really short with people because then like somebody... Because this is why I have to tell people in the office because they'll come up to me and they're like, should we print these? And I go, I don't care. Just do it. Like yeah, I get really short. Why are you really asking me these questions? I just bought a house. Questions. You know I just bought a house. Do you not understand I'm how ragey I am? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, That's a human so resources Tim, problem. It is. Tim sneaks me like <laughs> almonds and is like, get your blood sugar up. He like gives me snacks. <laughs> but did you have buyer's remorse with your truck? I had an element of sadness. I did it cash. Yeah. And I was very, very careful. I did months and months of research on what that Toyota Tacoma. I'm thinking more of the Tacoma because it was a new truck. Yeah, yeah. But everybody says don't buy a new truck. Yeah. Like don't buy a new car because you lose the value. But I really wanted a, a new one. Yeah. I bought it in Portland, but I did all my research in Atlanta. And I would go in and I'd say, I'm not going to buy from you. You will never get any money from me. So what should I pay? (laughs) What should I pay in Portland? Uh I had done this many times, but I finally got the answer. Everybody's giving me the truth, but I just didn't believe them. And this lady comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, I just heard you speak yesterday. And I said, yes, (laughs) yes, somebody who will give me. She actually rode up the truck, Uh rode it up. She said, Don, if they don't sell it for you in Portland at this price, which they won't, I'll ship it to you. (laughs) <laughs> at this price. And I'm like, well, actually, at the airport, I started calling Portland dealerships. And they're like, you're kidding. Uh, we're not going to sell you a truck for that. And I was like, okay, this is the real. I finally know what the real price is. Yeah, yeah. I bought it. I still remember it sitting in the driveway and me saying, you're a moron. <laughs> it's worth five grand less today than it was yesterday. You're a moron. How oh, could you wow. have done that? 
Your children will tell this story. <laughs> when you got ripped off when, and bought a stupid when truck. When dad, when grandpa Dunn, do you know what grandpa Dunn, do you, we know what our lineage is? It's misery. He's a stupid truck buyer. <laughs> yeah, he's a stupid truck buyer. But the buyer's remorse for me comes from never forget next Tuesday you're going to be poor. Yeah, yeah. And you're not going to have any money. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to eat. Yeah. But you went and bought a truck. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be some, where some of my anger comes from. It is out of remorse. I just don't want to feel the guilt, so I turn it into anger. So you anger. turn it into anger. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to feel guilty for buying this thing that I really could have bought way cheaper. Or something. I could live in an apartment forever. Like, I think those kind of things. And instead of feeling guilty, I feel angry. <laughs> well, I wonder, everybody listening probably could tell a story, because yeah. I think we've all felt it. Yeah. And if you haven't felt it, I'd be very curious to talk to somebody who doesn't have any kind of buyer's remorse. Like they'll yeah. buy, Because I know people who will spend their last dollar on some big, uh, crazy purchase, and they just believe that there'll be more money coming in. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I'm very, I mean, we spend <laughs> yeah. a lot of money because we believe you spend money to grow a business. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's never like this thing's going to be fine. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting mindset. The reason I bring this up, JJ, is actually it's a business principle. When your buyers, and everybody listening to this, hopefully most people listening to this are business leaders, business owners. Yeah. When your customers buy something from you, they probably have buyer's remorse. Yeah. I've never really thought about that. Yeah. I've never thought, you know, we have a $1,500 online course. We have a $3,000 live workshop. We have a $15,000. These are not cheap. Yeah. But there's a period where if you bought that live workshop before you get on a plane to Nashville, you're going, man, I hope this was worth it. Yeah. I hope this was a smart thing to do. And I've, I've never, just I've, I've, I've never thought about it. I've that. never thought about it either. And if you think about it, it's a really dumb thing not to think about. Yeah, because I would be ragey. I would be ragey <laughs> if I bought it. Knowing even doing all the research and knowing how great it was and all those things. I think if I bought one of our products after that purchase, once I got there and went through, it'd be fine. But I honestly think I I'm would be I'm just imagining rangy. you like throwing a stapler at your assistant. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> we assistant. just bought a private workshop. These guys are coming That was 15 grand. And stapler goes across the room. <laughs> uh, anyway, today's interview is with a guy named Joey Coleman. And Joey wrote a book called Never Lose a Customer Again. This guy yeah. <laughs> knows his stuff. Yeah. And not only that, there's a lot of guests we've had that have great information. You know, I would say one in 10 guests, there's something that I'm like, I can't wait to get off this interview because we're going to go execute right now. Yeah. We're going to do something big based on this conversation. And his argument is, and it's completely believable, that if you don't affirm your customer after they buy something and help them acclimate to your product and service and the way you do business, you're losing lots of money because one, they're not going to spread word about it. And two, they're not going to buy from you again. And he would say it's cheaper to actually care about your customers after they place the order than it is to spend a whole chunk of money on marketing. Yeah. And, you know, we don't like it when customers spend a bunch of money on marketing unless they've clarified their message because yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. So I'm all about shrinking your marketing budget, having a clearer message, and putting that money places that it'll grow your company faster. And I think this is one of those places. I'm super excited about this interview. I'm curious as to how he would have addressed you. So, <laughs> with so the like, raging yeah, part. Yeah, it's like really just raging. <laughs> what do you do with JJ? JJ's, Hugs. Yeah. Hugs. I just need a hug after I've well, bought it's something. It's really interesting because you're known as sort of the hug, kind, uh -huh. nice guy. And I'm finally glad that we actually have an episode <laughs> that you say, confess. hey, I just want to say, JJ's dangerous. I know you like him more than you like me. I don't have a dangerous side. If I buy something from you, I'm not going to go into a rage. 
<laughs> I'm not going to throw the Big Mac yeah. back across the I counter. Don't, I don't get abusive. <laughs> yeah. I just, I do get ragey, though. I'm not going to lie. I can't lie about that because people in our office, I would yeah, talk about Yeah, you don't this. get abusive, but that's like the dogs barking at the door and he's going to go, he doesn't bite. It's the same kind of thing. You're like, I don't know whether he bites or not. I would just say, don't sell JJ anything. Or at least listen. If you do, if you listen sell to JJ something, listen yeah. to this interview and call him and calm him down. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, this is my conversation with Joey Coleman. Really, just one of the better interviews we've ever done. He's just a wonderful guy. Here it is. Joey Coleman, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Don. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, listen, I heard a statistic. I heard it from, let's see, it was Jeff Walker. Jeff Walker interviewed somebody and they talked about this. So it's that 85% of your customers will likely come after you put them through your sales gauntlet. That is, after they know about your brand, they've read all your emails, and you have kind of quit on them, 85% of people order after you do that. And what he was talking about was the importance of staying in touch with these people, keeping the relationship going, building those kinds of relationships, which in a way is a bit what your book is about. But you're, you're really talking about after they make a purchase, how to make them loyal, how to be a good person to them, how to be in, in a good relationship with them. I guess what I'm getting to is the old model of sell to somebody, and then they make the purchase, and then you move on to the next customer isn't going to work anymore, is it? I don't think so. I'm not entirely sure, Don, that it ever worked, but it's certainly <laughs> the behavior that was adopted by many businesses. I think, you know, I'm a student of history and the human condition. And if we roll back to the, for lack of a better way of putting it, the old days, I mean, I grew up in Northwestern Iowa in a farming community where, you know, my grandparents lived in this small town called Clare, Iowa, less than 300 people in the town. And there was a little general store there called Dunahue's. And when I was a kid, I used to be able to walk into Dunahue's nice. and Mr. Donahue would say, oh, Joey, you want a Pepsi? Go ahead and I'll put it on your grandpa's tab. And he would recognize me just, you know, maybe because I was the spitting image of my grandfather at that age and he'd been there the whole time. But, you know, it was one of those things where there was a time where we knew every customer we did business with and we built long-term relationships and we operated more in smaller communities. Yeah. Fast forward to 2018 where a lot of our sales happen at arm's length or online and we never meet our customers. And I think what happened is people, and I don't begrudge businesses for doing this, I think they just got comfortable and maybe even a little bit lazy and just said, well, you know, we just keep selling to them as long as we keep filling the funnel and driving people to the website and selling our product and service, we'll go ahead and grow. The problem is you reach a point where that doesn't work anymore because you wake up one day and you realize that customers have been leaving out the back door as quickly as mm. you've been bringing them in the front door. Yeah, I worry about that. I worry about because we do so much online business and people buy our online courses and we have automated ways of sending them more information, more valuable content and that sort of stuff. But it's all I want to do is just to drive up to their front door and knock on the door and say, hey, I know you just bought my online course. I'm so grateful. Thanks so much. Let me know if you need anything. But it gets harder and harder to do uh, Absolutely. in the digital age. And my whole thing is, you know, with our customers who come to our live workshop or our private workshops, we can make sure in a roundabout way that they're making money off the product. Like they bought this as an investment. They want to make more money off it. With online customers, that's harder to do. And we've been trying to figure out a way to make sure they're executing and following through. You've got some great examples in your book of when somebody places an order or when you get a customer of how you don't lose them. And you talk about committing to the first 100 days and you tell the story of a dentist. Will you tell the listeners that story? 
Sure. So, and I say this respectfully to any dentist that may be listening. <laughs> I'm a recovering criminal defense lawyer. Used car salespeople, recovering criminal defense lawyers, and dentists all kind of go into the same category of businesses that most people don't like to interact with, right? So I empathize with the position of the dentist. But I had a situation where we had just moved to Colorado, where I live now. I bit into a piece of candy and my back molar exploded Ouch. in pain. So now I'm in Colorado. I clearly, I've shattered my tooth. It's excruciating pain and I don't have a dentist. And we've been in town not very long. I haven't established any new relationships. I'm trying to figure this out. And I've got a buddy, he says, Joey, I've got someone who'll take great care of you, Dr. McCann. Long story short, I call Dr. McCann's office. Not only is her receptionist incredibly helpful and says, don't worry, Joey, we will get you in in two hours for an appointment. But if you go online, She's like, are you online right now? I said, I am. She said, you can fill out all your forms right here so that when you come in, you get ushered immediately in to meet with the doctor as opposed to filling out any paperwork. Well, I don't know about you, Don, but to me, if I can avoid filling out paperwork, that's music to my ears, right? (laughs) Yeah. So fast forward two hours, I filled out the paperwork online. I go walking into the dentist office. Now, mind you, this is an office I've never been to before. I'm a brand new patient. They have no history or experience with me. The receptionist stands up when I cross the threshold of the store and says, Joey, welcome. I'll take you back wow. to Dr. McCann. Wow. I'm thinking, how did you know who I am? You've never met me. They usher me back into Dr. McCann, who not only does a thorough exam, she's read my chart. She's read my background. She knows everything that's going on. And she says, look, we're going to need to put in a crown. If you have the time, I'd like to do it right now. Hmm. And I'm thinking, I've never had a crown before, but I'd heard horror stories about crowns of like getting measured and fitted and then they created and then you come back two weeks later and they fit it again and it's four or five visits. She said, we have 3D printing technology and milling technology here in the office. We're going to create it while you wait if you don't mind. And I'm thinking, if I don't mind, are you kidding me? (laughs) This is a miracle. Long story short, it was one of the most positive customer experiences I've ever had. The fact that it was in a dentist office took it to the next level. My expectation was exceedingly low when this relationship started. And so I start off the book by saying, if a dentist can get customer experience right, Right. there is no business on the planet that has an excuse. And what do you think was inside the dentist's mind? I mean, if I put myself in his shoes or her shoes, I'm saying... Well, it's going to be expensive to buy a 3D printer, but it's going to make our customers' lives much more manageable. There's something about this person's heart who said, hey, when somebody calls, look them up on social media, know what they look like, greet them when they come in the door. There were just some little extra efforts there that were probably costly. I mean, you know, I've been to dentists and great dentists, but, you know, they play golf five days a week and they're in the office two days <laughs> sure, a week. And sure. I actually had a dentist once. You'll love this story. I was in Washington, D.C., where I was dating my wife at the time. He was wearing a Nationals jersey, which is their baseball club. Yep. I used to live in D.C., very familiar with Yeah, so you know the Nationals. And so I said, oh, Betsy and I were actually at the game last night. It was a great game. And he said, what game? And I said, the baseball game. He goes, what baseball game? I said, the Nationals game. You're wearing a jersey. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm not a fan. I just wear this because it calms patients down. They don't like to see me in a white coat. And I said, that's a really neat thing. You know, there's enough empathy to think about it from his customer's perspective. I want to ask another question about the cost of actually losing a customer, why this is so important. 
But again, what is it about the heart of the people that you've studied who take this extra effort? What are they thinking and how are they wired differently than maybe the average business leader? I think there's a couple of factors. Number one, and I'll come back to this one. One is they've recognized the negative impact hmm. that customer defection can have on a business. And I'll come back to talk about some of the what I find to be terrifying statistics about how many customers are leaving your business and you're not even realizing it as a business owner. But I think the common thread that connects the 46 companies that I do as case studies in the book and the business owners that I talk to and all these individuals is that they're connected very emotionally to the reason they got into business in the first place. And as somebody who's been an entrepreneur for, you know, fast approaching two decades, I understand how when we start our businesses lots of times, or when we first, if you're an employee and you first go to work at a new company, you're excited about it. You're excited about the product or the service. You're committed to helping people. And the problem is, as time goes on, we get caught up in the non-exciting parts of our business, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. for me, for example, you know, the bookkeeping, the file management, the scheduling, you know, all the things that are important and necessary and required in every business, but they aren't very exciting. And we get distanced from the humans, from the people that we really were hoping to serve and connect with. The common thread that I saw in all the folks that we profiled in the book and in my clients that I've worked with over the last 20 years on this stuff is that they are very committed to serving not only their customers, but their employees as well. And one of the added benefits of focusing on customer retention that, to be honest, I didn't see it in the beginning nearly as much because I wasn't looking for it. But one of the things I'm most excited about with the launch of the book is the number of people who have said, Joey, we, we took your methodology that you outlined, we've implemented in our business, we've seen improvement in our retention already, but more importantly, we've seen improvement in our employee engagement. People are connected to our story. They're connected to why we're here. They are excited to come to work every day. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I get even more excited because that means we're helping external customers and internal customers with the same effort. Yeah, absolutely. And you're also adding a great place to work metric in there too, where people just enjoy their job because they're connected to the bottom line of helping people. You've got eight different phases of this process. And I want to get to that in a second. But before we get to that, give us the pain points. Tell us why we've got to do this and statistically why we're just losing money if we don't care about our customers in this way. Absolutely. So when I started doing this research, I realized that many companies were dealing with customer defection. And I, the first one I came across was in the banking industry. In the banking industry, where you would think folks really pay attention to numbers in the bottom line, right? That's kind of the nature of being a banker. 32% of new bank customers will leave that bank before their one-year anniversary. Really? That's actually surprising because it's complicated to leave a bank. It's really complicated. 32%. It's 32% leave before the one-year anniversary. Despite the fact that they filled out all the paperwork, they've gotten new debit cards, new checks, set up their new e-billing, you know, put in their deposits, cleared their money, got everything going, 32% leave before Why? the Why? What's the reason? Well, what's crazy, if I may, 
16% of those people, half of those leave before the 100 day anniversary. <laughs> Did they just get the toaster? They got the toaster oh, man, and they let walked me tell away. You, exactly. They get the toaster. <laughs> we're, we're dating ourselves, Don, with that comment. I remember those days. <laughs> oh, I hear you, brother. I hear you. You know what? My mother used to do that. She used to go sign up for an account. You get a $50 credit and she'd get the $50 and then she'd close the account a couple months later. Yep, exactly. I hate to say there's that because my mother is a saint. No, no, but, but she there's did a it. lot of people that did that. There's a lot of people, you know, you're right. Toasters was the first real new customer acquisition giveaway that I found, you know, that was kind of big in the banking industry back in the day. But what I realized when I saw that half of the people that were leaving before the one year anniversary left in the first hundred days, I realized that this was an onboarding issue hmm. that customers weren't getting connected to the brand. They weren't using the product or the service they had purchased in a way that they found value quickly. And I said, well, if it's this bad in banking, What's it like in other industries? And that led me on a multi-year investigation of industries all around the world. And what I found is that in the auto repair industry, kind of auto repair mechanics, it's 68%. In cell phones, it's 21%. Restaurants hover between 40 and 80%. These numbers were just staggering. And what I realized is across all industries, somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. And when I started sharing this with my clients and with audiences around the world, people were, they were in dismay. They were like, no, this can't be the case. And I'd say, great, so what's your defection rate? And they're like, well, Joey, we don't measure that. I said, great, why don't you start measuring that and then get back to me? And then they got back to me and they were like, oh my gosh, Joey, it's 38%, it's 42%, it's 75%. I mean, these staggering numbers that they had no idea. I posit, Don, that this is the biggest threat facing businesses on the planet today that no one is paying attention to. It reminds me of when I was much younger, I ran a publishing company and we exploded in growth. And the owner, he was kind of an absentee owner, came in and just said, how'd you do this? And I actually looked at our database. We had about 2,000 clients, but about 200 of them, 10%, ordered from us all the time. And I decided I'm going to write them a, a letter every week. So every week I would write just those 200, not the 2,000. This is pre-email. or email wasn't used to sell at that time. And that's what made the company grow, was actually deciding who are the people that we need to keep and establishing a relationship with them the reason I say that is because it was so inexpensive. And for our listeners to know, everybody wants new customers. They think their growth is in new customers, new customers, new customers. And I go back to that early first lesson I had in business to say, yes, you can get new customers, but there's an enormous amount of revenue growth in your existing customer base and catering to them and building relationships with them. Absolutely. And all the numbers that you're talking about translate into revenue loss. They translate into lots and lots of money flying out the door. You talk about in the book customer service being reactive while customer experience is proactive. Can you tell me the difference in, in the way you see it between customer service and customer experience? I can. So, you know, I think a lot of people confuse, I don't want to say confuse, but a lot of people use those two phrases interchangeably. And I understand why they do. I see them as being very different. I think your customer service department are the people who are responding to your customers when something goes wrong. It's a reactive. It's how do we, you know, solve their problems once they're a customer when things pop up. Customer experience is more of a proactive philosophy and methodology. It's looking at every interaction you have with your customers and saying, 
are we creating the most seamless, most effective, most magical, most remarkable experience at every touch point, at every interaction? And to come back to the comment you made, this isn't about dollars. It really isn't. People say to me all the time, well, Joey, we can't afford to create a remarkable customer experience. And I say, tell me about the best relationship in your life. And they may say it's their spouse, it's their best friend, it's their kid, whoever it may be. And I say, tell me, how much money is spent on that relationship? <laughs> and they're like, well, Joey, it's not about the money. It's about the, the thoughtfulness, the quality. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So that's how it applies in business. Like, I understand there's practical realities of, you know, businesses want to run at a profit. But to go to your comment that the profits are really based and the opportunities for growth are based in your existing customers. One of the pieces of research we came across in writing the book was the fact that if you look at all industries around the world and you look at their ability to sell to a cold prospect versus selling to a current customer and you take their conversion rates and you factor all of those in and you add them together, what you find is that in the typical business, the likelihood of selling to a new customer averages somewhere between five and 20%, maybe higher, maybe lower, but that's the average across all industries. Five to 20% of cold prospects will decide to become a customer. If you try to sell that same product or service to an existing customer, the number skyrockets to a 60 to 70% conversion rate. So I look at that and I say, folks, salespeople, it's easier to sell to your existing customers and you have a higher conversion rate and the profit margins are higher. I just don't understand why we're not paying attention to that. To take it one step further, the research also shows, and this is research out of Stanford Business School, Harvard Business School, Bain & Company, as well as Frederick Reicheld, the gentleman who came up with the net promoter score, which a lot of folks are, are familiar with. If you can keep just 5% of your customers who would otherwise leave, you will increase your profits 25 to 100%. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, it's kind of like you writing the letters, right? You wrote a letter and sent it to 200 customers every week. And as a result, you dramatically grew the business. Why? Because you took the time to focus on them and give them attention on a consistent and regular basis to let them know that you cared, to let them know that the marketing messages of, we like to think of our customers as family. You're not a number. You're one of us. We'll look out for you. You showed them that that wasn't just empty promises, that those were actually practices and principles that you were going to conduct and govern yourself by. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Joey Coleman in just a moment. Hey, a lot of you had read my book, Building a Story Brand, and you think you've got it all. You think you've got the whole framework down and you're trying to execute it. But in the back of your mind, you're kind of wondering, am I doing this right? I mean, you know, are the words I'm using correct? Is my website looking the way it's supposed to look? All that kind of stuff. I've got a great free resource for you. First of all, thanks for buying the book. And the free resource is really going to give you some kind of practical, pragmatic, you know, here's what it should look like when you execute the framework. Just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can either spell it out or use the number 5, 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I've got three. <laughs> they're about... 10-minute videos or eight-minute videos. They're not five-minute videos, but I trust you'll forgive me. There's three videos there that are really going to help you know that you're doing it correctly, and you're going to have a little more confidence. And again, they're free for you. Just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com and watch those videos, and you'll have a lot more confidence that you're doing your marketing correct and you're executing the StoryBrand framework well. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com.
When you talk about being willing to spend the money, being willing to spend the time, being willing to put the customer ahead of even your commitment to profit margin, I think about Howard Schultz. And there's been so many decisions he's made recently at Starbucks. Not so recently, he provided health care for all of his employees, which is just an incredible, incredible expense. And incredible. then, yeah, incredible expense. A lot of these are slash part time no, employees, you know, hourly working. Yeah. And, and he didn't have to, he didn't have it to wasn't do that. required. But he, I believe, and I've never met the man, but at least based on what I've observed from him, he believed in his heart that this was the right thing to do. I think so. And you look at the growth of that company and the incredible profits they make and the global domination, not just selling coffee, but introducing a concept, at least to the American psyche, of going to a coffee shop and drinking coffee. We all think that's normal now. That was not normal 15 or 20 no, years ago. No, he was the one who came up with the concept of the third place, Yeah, right? Yeah, you had right. home, you had work. Where's the other place you go? And he wanted to replace the bar. He wanted a place where kids could go and families could go. And then not just uh, healthcare for his employees. He actually educates his employees. There's ways that he teaches character, and he wants a, a first-time job for somebody to be a transformative experience. And then on top of all that, a terrible thing happened in one of his stores where some African-American kids were ostracized or called the cops sure. on for using the bathroom. He shuts down every Starbucks for a day, and he does racial sensitivity training. The dollar figure on doing that is astronomical. Staggering. And he, he did it Staggering. as a knee-jerk reaction. He did not have time to work the algorithm to figure out what that would cost him. He knew his customers weren't being served well, or at least anecdotally, there was two customers who weren't served well, and he said, we're shutting down the whole company. I think there's something for the rest of us to consider when we're saying, well, that's going to cost X amount of dollars if we do this. Is to stop and say, okay, it will, but what is the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do by these folks? Absolutely. And the power, and, and I know you're, a, if not the world's expert, certainly in the top three of, on the topic of story, right, and how story brand connects to this. What an amazing story for Starbucks to be able to say, look, hey, well, we don't just preach this, we practice it. Well, we teach people, don't play the hero in the story, play the guide. And you see in narrative structures over and over, the guide sacrificing often their life so that the hero can win. The guide never says, well, you know, let me run the algorithm and see if it's okay for Luke to, if I have the time to invest in Luke to go destroy the Death Star, let me see. You know, that's not right, the, right, it, would right. never, it would never work. They often give their life for the cause. Okay, I want to get straight to some great stuff. On page 46 and 47, you've got the eight phases of the customer experience. I think this is going to be super valuable for our listeners to understand what's going on from a customer perspective. They are phase one, assess, phase two, admit, phase three, affirm, phase four, activate, then acclimate, accomplish, adopt, and advocate. And I really want people to read the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. But will you give us a 30,000-foot view of what our customer relationship is like and what they're experiencing as we interact with them? We all have heard the phrase, or lots of businesses talk about the phrase, you know, the customer journey, the customer life cycle. But very few businesses actually take the time to map it out. And so what I tried to provide is an eight-step process, an eight-phase process that can be applied to any type of business. Why? Because you're selling to human beings. I don't care whether you're B2B, B2C, B2G, 
at the end of the day, you're human to human, you're age to age. And all of your customers have the potential to go through these eight phases if and only if you're willing to hold their hand and help them navigate through. So the first one, as you mentioned, is assess. This is when a prospect considers whether or not they want to do business with you. In common parlance, we think of this as marketing and sales. Now, the crazy thing is in most businesses, this is where all the time, money, and effort is spent. In my methodology, it's phase one of eight steps. So mm. we need to look at where we're spending our time and effort. And we need to divide those resources between the eight phases. Is that what you think? I absolutely do. Okay. I absolutely yeah. do. I think, and in fact, what the, all the research shows that the better you are at customer retention, the less you have to spend on marketing. You can take all those marketing dollars and transfer them over to retention dollars, which by the way, loops into our earlier conversation of how do you pay for some of this right, stuff? Right. Yeah. Well, you don't have to work as hard throwing money out into the world, hoping that some of it hits, right? That age old theory about advertising, you know, you know, I spend all this money on advertising and 50% of it works. I just don't know which 50%, right? (laughs) You know, and you were kind of in that method. So I think in the assess phase, what you need to be doing is not only talking about the features and benefits of your product or service, but more importantly, giving those prospects a taste of what the experience of being a customer will be like, Yeah. right? So bring the experience forward into the sales process so that they start to get the emotional hit of what the experience will work be like. Then we move to phase two, admit, right? Right. The admit phase is when the customer raises their hand, they admit they have a problem or need that they believe you can help them with, that you can solve. This is when they sign the contract, when they hand you their hard-earned cash, whatever it may be, they transition from being a prospect to a customer. Almost immediately after this happens, we move to phase three, the affirm stage. So many of us skip this phase. So many, so many. Here's the crazy thing. If we were to ask all your listeners who are listening to this podcast, raise your hand if you've heard of the phrase buyer's remorse. (laughs) Almost every hand would go up. And then if I said, okay, now keep your hand up if you have a system in your process, in your business to address directly the buyer's remorse your customers are feeling, it's less than 1%. It's less than 1% actually have a process. We've all heard of it. We all know it's a problem, and yet none of us are doing anything about it. You know, and here's why I think we do that. For us, the customer purchasing the product is the climactic scene in our story. Correct. But it's not the climactic scene in their story. And in our job, we always say it's story brand. Don't tell your story. Invite people into a story. And you have to understand, no, they haven't achieved the climactic scene yet when they use the product and it works. They've just bought it. Right. And they're wondering whether it's going to work. Give me an example of somebody who's done an affirmation well. Well, there's a lot of great companies. So in the affirmation stage, what you want to do is reinforce for the customer that the decision they made to spend their money, to spend their time, to decide to work with you was a wise decision. Because brain science tells us when we make the purchase decision, our brain floods with dopamine. We feel joy, euphoria, and excitement. This is the product that's going to be the answer to my dreams. This is the service that's going to be able to take care of us. But almost as quickly as that dopamine floods our brain, it starts to recede. And those feelings of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced with feelings of fear, doubt, and uncertainty. (laughs) What if the product doesn't work out? What if the service isn't as good as they claimed? Will I be able to get my money back? Will I be able to get out of this deal? Will I be able to break the contract? What if I get fired because I'm buying this in a work scenario and my boss isn't happy with the decision that I made? The stakes are incredibly high for the customer in this moment. Meanwhile, back at our offices, those of us who have sold the product or service, we're high-fiving, we're ringing bells, (laughs) we're celebrating, somebody's going to Napa for a, a week 
weekend away with their spouse is a bonus for selling the contract. We're having celebrations, but at the customer's house, they're in fear, doubt, and uncertainty. That delta emotionally, as you talk about, you know, the story arc, the emotional delta between the highs we're experiencing and the lows they're experiencing, if we don't close that and close it quickly, we're in trouble. One company that does a really interesting job of this, we mentioned Washington, D.C. There's a networking group in D.C. called Cadre. It's a pay-to-play group. You pay $6,000 a year to attend a monthly networking event. And like many businesses, after somebody joins their membership, they get a welcome call. But the welcome welcome call doesn't come from the owners of the business or a member of their staff. The welcome call comes from a member in the group. You're kidding. No. Wow. A paying customer. Yeah. A paying customer. Full disclosure, I happen to be on the welcoming committee for Cadre. Even though I now live in Colorado, I made an agreement with the folks in DC and I actually fly back for their events on a quarterly basis. That's how much value I get from this group and how incredible the group is. They're amazing. So anyway, they have this call from the welcoming committee member. And this has two really unique effects. Uh, number one, and this is coming from somebody who's on that welcoming committee. Number one, I always start by saying, here are the three or four things that are going to allow you to get the value out of your membership very quickly. So I give them ROI. I address the issue almost every business owner has. What's my ROI for this investment? I then point out two or three things that if they do, they're actually not going to like the membership. Here are the things you don't want to do. Wow. Not, and is this your personal? This is my personal beliefs. This is not script from the organization. This is Joey's experience as one of the founding members who's been in the group from day one and now flies over a thousand miles back to attend these meetings because that's how valuable I find them. And then I say, here's the deal. When's your first event you're coming to? And they tell me and I say, great, I'll see you there. And in that moment, what I give them is we've all had that experience as human beings of walking into a room where we're quote unquote a member, but we don't feel like we belong right? Yeah, because we haven't met the people. We haven't had the experience. My job is to arrive at the event early. I go on social media. I find out what this person looks like and I stand at the front door and I meet him. So let's say you've joined, I meet you at the door and I say, Don, welcome to your first cadre event. We are so excited to have you here. Let me introduce you to the three people who I think you're going to have the most connection with the quickest. Let's go do it right now. And I take them in and I walk them through the room. And the reason I do this is because that further reinforces they made the right decision. So to me, that's one way and one of the companies I feature in the book of how you can address that buyer's remorse and do it quickly. And it's inexpensive. It's a phone call that, oh, by the way, costs the organization zero. Yeah, I can think of many products that I've bought that if they called me or sent an email and said, hey, so-and-so just bought this product. You want to call them and tell them how you feel about it? I'd do it just because it... You'd happily do it. Exactly. You know? Yeah, there's something that's kind of fun about it. Exactly. That's really and interesting. there are a lot of businesses where part of the reason you're doing business with the business is to meet other like-minded individuals in this networking right. group. Yeah. They're actually giving me a gift. They're giving me first dibs on the new member to talk to them and see how I might connect with them, how I might provide value. If my business services are of value to them, it works really well. That brings us to phase four. 
I, I want to leave too much of an open loop for your audience. It's going, there's eight phases. It's only covered three. <laughs> what are the other five? Phase four is activate, right? This is where you need to energize the relationship as you formally start to work together. So in a service industry, this is maybe the kickoff meeting or when you first come to perform the service. In a product scenario, this is the unboxing experience when they first receive your product and they're going to start to use it. I want to energize the relationship and make this a real high point. See, the crazy thing is in most businesses, this is the pinnacle of the relationship. I want us to set it at a high point and then build on it going forward, which takes us to the next phase, phase five, acclimate. Okay, this is where you need to acclimate the customer, help the customer to get familiar with your way of doing business. We've sold our product or service hundreds of times, thousands of times, millions of times. But for the new customer, this is the first time they've ever used it. You need to hold their hand and show them the way. Now, sometimes people say to me, but Joey, you don't understand. We wrote about in the proposal what the steps were, what the next phases would be, how we would go through the timeline of the implementation. Folks, you sign contracts all the time that you don't read, and so do your customers. Okay, so they don't remember what those phases were, or maybe the person who signed the contract isn't the person who's actually the point of contact for delivering it. Or people will say, well, Joey, that's why we include directions with our product. Okay, well, it was sweeping stereotype here, but if your product is used by any men, they don't read the direction. <laughs> if it's used by any women, you didn't write detailed enough directions. Okay, so I guarantee your directions are not as effective as you think. Could this look as simple as an employee who actually just calls and says, hey, we know yesterday you bought this. Do you have any questions about how to get started? Have you looked at it yet? Or is it that simple? It can be that simple. Absolutely. And you, you want to avoid becoming stalkerish, right? But like, for example, if you send them a product, you know, maybe you don't message them that day that they receive it, but maybe a day or two later you say, hey, I see according to UPS or the shipping receipt, you received the product. Have you had a chance to open it and take it out of the box yet? If you have, what do you think? If you haven't, do you have five minutes now to do that and I'll walk you through the quick setup so that you can be up and using it. I love that. That is such a, I mean, if you think about it, you could hire a really talented person and pay them 65 grand a year. That'd be a great, be an amazing salary. And all they're doing is calling people who just placed orders and say, well, how can I serve you? What can I do? You send them anything that they yeah. need or whatever. That's a really amazing high salary, but think of the return that you'd get on that one person doing, that's not customer service. Like you say, it's more customer experience. I want to do that right away. I'm going to go talk to my team about it. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, let me say this in terms of, and you know, when I came up in marketing, I ran an ad agency and with all due respect to my colleagues that are on that side of the conversation, I guarantee that paying an employee to do that will have a higher return on investment and a higher conversion rate than any advertisement you can run on social media, print media, TV, radio, anything like that. You will see more return on your investment from that individual whose sole job and responsibility is the customer experience than you will in any other firm. And it's just the right thing to it's, do. It's, it's just yeah, the right thing to do. When in doubt, just be a good person, right? Be a good business. Okay, Joey, we've got four more. These have all been so great. Acclimate, accomplish, adopt, and advocate. All right. So in that acclimate stage, we're holding their hand. We're making sure they're good. We're calling to check in on them. That then takes us to phase six, accomplish. When someone decides to do business with you, the customer has a goal when they originally decide to buy your product or service. Did they actually accomplish it? This seems so obvious. 
it seems so basic, and yet so few companies track or pay attention to this. Did we solve your problem? Did we actually solve the problem? Did we give you what you needed? And if we don't remind the customer that we did that, track what it is they wanted, and remind them when they achieve that, they're not necessarily going to celebrate it. We all buy plenty of products and services that do a good job. They help us do what we want to do, but we don't feel great about it because we kind of forget we move on to the next product or service. There's an opportunity for every business to track the goals and then help celebrate with the customer when they achieve them. That's the accomplish phase. If they don't accomplish the goal, they never reach the last two phases. That's how important this phase is. We then go to phase seven, adopt. This is when the customer becomes loyal to you and your brand. They're not going anywhere. They're 100% all in. They love you. They're going to buy whatever it is you're selling. They're feeling good about you. They're loyal. You don't have to compete on price anymore. You're all set. And then and only then do we reach phase eight, the holy grail advocate, right? This is where we get the customer who is the raving fan referring their friends and colleagues and family members to do business with you. The great thing about this, and it comes back to the thing we talked about way at the beginning, Don, this is where you don't have to spend as much money on marketing anymore because your advocates are your uncommissioned salespeople who are referring business, not only business, but the right kind of business who are setting the expectations for these prospects. I don't know about you. I've been in the position where somebody brings someone to the table and they're like, Joey, I want to refer you to my friend, Frank, who's hiring a speaker for his event. I already told him what you charge. I already told him you're going to blow the doors off on the audience. I already told him you're the best speaker we've ever worked with. Like he's already done all the yeah. work for me. Yeah. Then when we're having a call, our entire call is about what is the date of your event? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's in the audience? How can we make this special for them? I'm not selling at all. At this point, the sale has already been made. Yeah. I love this. Joey, these concepts are revolutionary. The book is Never Lose a Customer Again. If you want to spend fifty or sixty thousand dollars, I think a great thing to do would be hire somebody, hand them this book, and say, "Do this, <laughs> do this with <laughs> well, our I appreciate that. with our company." Joey, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, there's conversations that we have on the podcast that immediately I just say, "No offense, I want to get out of this conversation. I want to execute. I want to do something that the author has talked about." And this is one of those conversations. I think there's probably forty thousand business leaders who are feeling the exact same way. Thank you for the gift of this book and your thoughts and your concern for customers and all these business leaders who are trying to grow their businesses. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, likewise, Don. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And thanks to all the listeners out there who uh, are continuing to be loyal followers and listeners of yours. You, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I listen to it. You bring the value again and again. I've had many great friends be on the podcast, and it's a real honor and treat to have uh, spent some time with you today. So thanks so much for the invite. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. It's such a cool way to look at serving your customers that yeah. I don't think we often think about. In our workshop, we talked about this a lot, about how you are, as the business, you are the guide to your customer's hero. Right. And part of the role of a guide is to come back in the story at the That's end. That's right. You know what? I, for I even forgot about that because we talked about the workshop. I forgot about that when I was talking to Joey. I, I brought up the guide stuff, but I didn't, I didn't think about the fact that at the end of the scene or at yeah. the end of the movie... Lionel comes back and affirms King George. Yeah, in every movie like yeah. where the you see the coach tip the hat or yeah. give a wink after they've sunk the free throw or a knowing nod that says, 
You, you did. As the hero, You're you different did it. now. Yeah. Mr. Miyagi does it. Yeah. Uh, Peter Brand, Jonah Hill's character in Moneyball, does yeah. it with Billy Bean. It's always the guide comes back and basically, in some way, says you've made the right decision. You've become who you different. wanted to be. You're different. Yeah. And this is one of those ways that you, as a business, can serve as guide to your customers after the purchase affirming you did it you made the right decision yeah. and continue guiding them in the purchase and the movement forward and i love it who they want to do you be. think i mean just to open conversation yeah. you're our chiefs of staff yeah do you think it's worth hiring somebody 100 i they was can... thinking about who, even on our staff right now who could kind of start Jeez. playing that role as i was talking to joey about with our online course with our live workshop it's baked in there's yeah, this yeah. like in, incredible relationship that kind of gets built and with our guide program and all that kind of stuff and private workshops have a follow-up mechanism Online, other than digital tools, you know, we, we're yeah. emailing you more and more content after you buy the online course. But to have somebody just call and say, what were your goals? Yeah. Why did you buy it? And yeah. how can we help you accomplish those goals? And yeah. how can you use this course to do that? I'm I love it. Definitely. Yeah. We're going to bring it up in staff meeting. I think it's great. Anyway, another fantastic interview. We thank you so much for listening. We want to affirm the fact that you downloaded this podcast. <laughs> yes. You have made a great decision. Please don't be ragey after though, listening to well, this. Well, it's, it's a free podcast, <laughs> yeah. so I don't think the rage will click in. But if it does, pull the car over and just know this was a good decision. And know that we love you. And know that, yes. That's the bottom line. <laughs> the bottom line is, is we, we love you. we love you. Yeah. <laughs> if that's not affirmation, I don't know what it is. I feel like we're pandering now. Mm -mm, it's all true. I don't think there's a chapter in Joey's book about pandering. That's good. It's only pandering if it's not true. This is all true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>